Well, I do hope and pray that all of you uh, made it through the storm well this week and uh, didn't sustain too much uh, damage to your, your homes, your property, or expend too much uh, stress or anxiety or panic. Uh, let me tell you, storm preparations are a little different when you have a four-year-old following you around wanting to help with everything. I, pr- I appreciate the help, but that made for one of the more challenging aspects of our, pres- our, our preparation at home. Uh, but in some ways, uh, I think the last few days are actually uh, a very interesting lead-in uh, to our message this morning. For the last number of weeks, we have been in a sermon series through the New Testament book of First Peter called Living God's Way. And Peter has been writing to these new Christians uh, who are finding themselves in new places and new communities, surrounded with new and different types of people. And he's been telling them that now that they have this new identity as Christians with a future secured by Jesus, that it's meant to change the way they live and interact with the world and the people around them. And even as we saw last week, it goes so far to say that this new identity as Christians um, has something to say about the way husbands and wives relate and interact with one another. And 2,000 years later, here we are in our cultural moment, and we are finding that these words of Peter are just as impactful for us today as they were for those early Christians. So I want to read our scripture passage in its entirety this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter 3, we're going to start in verse 8. If you need a Bible, uh, we can get one to you. If you don't have one, feel free to uh, take one home with you. But look with me at verse 8. Peter writes, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. You know, the wonderful thing about God's word is that it is absolutely true and it is given to us because he loves us. Two of the founding fathers of our country, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, uh, in the earlier days of the American Revolution, in the early days of the country, uh, they were the best of friends, uh, tight Uh, The projects, the things they were working to, they were giving their lives to, brought them together in a very significant way. But as time went on and as politics tends to do, personal slights, betrayal, they broke their friendship apart. And for many, many years, there was no communication at all. And their friends, their mutual friends that had been working together with them over these years saw this and just could not believe, could not fathom that these two giants of the revolution could live the rest of their days and not be friends, not be speaking to one another. And so in 1809, one of the fellow signers of the Declaration of Independence, Dr. Benjamin Rush, uh, 
had a dream. And in this dream, he dreamt that Jefferson and Adams had reconciled, and that they were speaking to one another, they were writing to one another regularly. And so after he has this dream, he reaches out to both of them, and he writes to them, and he tells them about this dream. And both Adams and Jefferson make a count, and they, they write back to Rush that, yes, uh, you know, I, um, that's, that's nice, you know, but they really didn't give too much more thought to it. It didn't lead to any action. But Rush continued to badger them. And finally, three years later, Thomas Jefferson sent a very tentative note to John Adams, which was met by a very guarded reply. But one letter followed after another, after another, after another, And so finally, in July of 1813, John Adams wrote this to Thomas Jefferson. He said, Never mind it, my dear sir. If I write four letters to your one, your one is worth more than my four. And I think this is so beautiful. He writes, You and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. Bitter enemies, prodded along by a friend's intervention, begin to reconcile. And then one of the great facts, you can store this away, one of the great facts of American history is that this friendship continued to grow and grow and rekindle and rekindle till the day that they died, which was on the same day, three hours apart, July 4th, 1826, on the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That's a little trivia pursuit nugget. You can put it there when your next uh, trivia night. But all of us face conflict. Um, All of us have areas of our lives or relationships in our lives where we are dealing with conflict. And maybe you're the type of person that's reluctant to face conflict. You just want to push it away, uh, not deal with it. Some of you, on the other hand, really like conflict. And you're the kind of person that seems to bring it out so that people will deal with it. Whatever type of person you are, whatever is natural for you, as Christians, we're called to live God's way. And that has something to say with, about the way that we handle conflict. And Peter's words in our passage, I think, help us to see how. They give us a way forward. And so this morning, uh, I want us to ask the question, how do we handle conflict? How do we deal with a family feud? Um, and I want... Uh, I want us to see that I think God is calling us to become two things, to become a people of blessing and a community of peace, a people of blessing and a community of peace. Look with me at verse 8 again as we think about a people of blessing. Peter writes, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, Love each other as brothers and sisters. Peter stresses this one mind thing that other translations use the word like-minded, which kind of raises the question, well, what is it that we're to be like-minded in? What are we to share one mind in? If we're going to handle conflict well, what is he getting at? And I want us to see that I think we have to become like-minded as Christians in the gospel. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like-minded in this belief that God has come to us in Jesus. The God who created us to have perfect relationship with him. And though that perfect relationship has been destroyed by the conflict that sin has brought into the world. 
God, even through that, has made a way for us to know him by sending us his son Jesus, who didn't just come only to die on the cross and save us from our sin, but to live a perfect life. In other words, to show us the way that God has always intended us to live, a better way, God's way. And after living that perfect life, Jesus does become the perfect sacrifice that we need to do something about our conflict with God, to be punished in our place. And what happens if we embrace that, if we become like-minded in that, is that when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we see it now not only as a free ticket to heaven, but as the very resource for what we need to be able to live God's way now. And that absolutely speaks into how we handle conflict, that we can become a people of blessing and do this better, perhaps, than we've done it in the past. And so if we're to become people of blessing, we have to come to embrace the gospel, to become like-minded. But Peter also says in the same verse that we are to love our brothers and sisters. Now, here's where some of our experiences with our siblings may come into play, right? Uh, I'm sure uh, many of you with siblings know that loving your brothers and sisters is not always the easiest thing to do, right? Our past experiences definitely speak into that. I realize that that can be difficult for some of our stories. But hopefully, underneath all of the difficulty, still, there's a bond. Even if it's as minimal as the fact that we share the same father and mother. Still, even if it's only that, that is a significant bond. And so if we're to take that idea of being brothers and sisters and apply it beyond our families but to one another, right, to our fellow brothers and sister Christians, to our friends, let's ask this question then. How can we love each other as brothers and sisters? And I want to say that the answer is this. We can only do that where God is known as Father. Only where God is known as Father. Right? That you and I, we can understand that we have the same heavenly Father. That we know the same deep fatherly love of God. And that's what makes us brothers and sisters. And if that's true, if you've been accepted by God, if you've been embraced by God and his fatherly love, if that's happened in my life, then I can look at you, you can look at me, and now we have something that truly does make us like-minded, something that we share so deeply. We are now brothers and sisters. But if we don't see it that way, if that's not the way we view one another, right? if when conflict comes into our lives, into our relationships, and love and grace is not determining our relationship as brothers and sisters, where love and grace disappears, what turns up? It's usually bitterness and resentment. Where love and grace disappears, bitterness and resentment grow. The actor Rob Lowe, who was uh, kind of a heartthrob actor in the 80s, that, that uh, famous show The Brat Pack, um, 
he kind of had a downward spiral and he's had a career resurgence in the last 15 uh, years. But he, uh, in an interview with GQ magazine last year, he talked about his addiction and sobriety. And in the interview, he said this, in those days, in my early days, in my 20s, enjoying fame, uh, those pre-sobriety days, it was all good, right? However I can get what I needed, I got it, and I was perfectly happy. But his career, of course, came to a crashing halt. Addiction took over his life. But since then, since becoming sober, he hasn't had a drink since. And the article asks, what's the secret? What's his secret? And here's what Lowe answered. For someone in recovery like me, the single greatest hurdle, the number one thing that will make you drink is resentment. You can't have it. You have to give it away. People always say, how have you been sober for 26 years? What's the secret? Well, that's it. You see, if we're not careful, love and grace give way to bitterness and resentment. And most of the time, this is the the tricky part, most of the time we don't even realize it's happening. We don't even realize that that's what's going on, that at the root of a lot of our conflict is resentment. I want to read you something. It's a longer quote, but I think it's so powerful uh, on this subject. Judy Logue wrote a book called Forgiving the People You Love to Hate. And here's what she says. If we have been hurt and harmed by others, we must face the enemies of our hearts, those wounds, hurts, and resentments that can imprison us in bitterness if we do not open them to forgiveness. Unhealed, the hurts and resentments harden. Untouched by grace, by grace and forgiveness, they grow stronger and start to master our lives so that in ways we hardly suspect, we lose freedom and joy to them. At that point, she concludes, it's not so much that we have resentments, but rather that resentments have us. Here's what I think she's saying. We've all been hurt, all of us, deeply. But in a weird way, we can hold on to that hurt. We return to that hurt over and over, and we begin to nurture it. And it becomes a part of our lives, like a way for us to gain power over it, or power over those that have hurt us. And Logue goes on to say that sometimes the resentment toward the offender is so old and so familiar that we cannot imagine life without it. We've almost come to find it entertaining. In truth, it's scary to let go of something that we have nurtured with all our hearts for a very long time. I think that's true for many of you. And you know why I think it's true for many of you? Because it's, it's exactly true for me and my resentments, the things that I'm dealing with. You see, if conflict is not faced well with love and with grace between like-minded brothers and sisters, then we begin to turn each other into enemies. And instead of being a people of blessing, we become sometimes without even realizing it, we become a people of resentment and paybacks. Look at verse 9. 
Peter says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. You see, I think Peter has dealt with this before. And in fact, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him this question and he says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Now, we don't, we don't know the backstory there. We don't know what's going on. Maybe Peter has someone in his life that he has had to continually forgive and forgive or maybe there's someone there or a situation that he just desperately wants to shut out of his life. And so Peter wants to know what the limit is. Right? How many times do I have to keep doing this? Can I just keep nurturing this resentment deep down, Jesus? And of course, Jesus says no. You've got to give it to me. Give it to me so that you can become a person of blessing and not a person of paybacks. And that's exactly what resentment is. It's a form of internal payback of holding someone hostage when we need to be working towards being a people of blessing. And here's the thing. If we struggle to do this with our Christian brothers and sisters, to handle conflict well together when we're like-minded in the gospel, how in the world are we going to do it with our neighbors or with our coworkers? or with our family members who do not believe. You see, the only answer is to see God's blessing in your life. And that because you've received God's blessing, his love and his affection, because you are accepted and loved by Jesus, we now can begin to do what Jesus did. We can bless those who have hurt us. See, the blessing that we receive from God encourages us to do that, to bless others, even, this is so difficult to think about, even our enemies. And not only do we have this huge motivation because God's blessed us with his love, but Peter says we have this additional promise that if we do this, if we handle conflict well, if we can be like-minded in our love as brothers and sisters and be a people of blessing, that we actually will experience God's blessing more in our lives now. That our lives will change. We'll be people of blessing and not people of resentment. One biblical scholar wrote this, that even when Christians are cursed, they bless. This is how Christians get even. They pay back evil with good, insults with blessing. So how do we handle conflict well? We bless. We bless. We bless. But secondly, uh, God has called us to become a community of peace. A community of peace. Look at verse 10 with me. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Peter's actually quoting Psalm 34 here, and he's saying, look, peace is hard, right? 
You have to work for it. You have to search for it. Like a dog that has run off in the middle of town and won't return your calls or your whistles. You have to search for it. You have to do the work of peace. And I believe that requires some new habits. For us to adopt some new habits. And here's what I'd like to suggest. Maybe the greatest way that you and I can handle, begin to handle conflict well is through each other. Maybe the new habit is not that creative or new at all. Maybe it's looking at one another and seeing that we need to be part of a community of peace. Because there's times when I'm not going to get things right and that's going to create conflict and you're going to bless me. And there's times when you're not going to get something right and that's going to create conflict and I'm going to bless you. We need each other desperately. And when we have each other, when we're part of a community of peace, we are so much more ready to face conflict and to handle it well. Why? Because we're assured of our love for one another, that you and I share the same love from God our Father, and now we can see each other as brothers and sisters that makes us run to one another to handle our conflict and not stay isolated on our own. Think about this with me for just a moment. We've just come through a hurricane week, right? Uh, And perhaps this isn't true of all of your experiences in the last few days, but I think it bears out um, to my experiences through the last uh, few storms that I've uh, gone through. You know, as we're all getting ready, we're, we're scrambling, people are hitting the stores at all hours, we're loading up on water, we're buying plywood, we're, we're at, you know, 11 o'clock, you're at Home Depot, you're in the, the long line at the gas station, and panic is kind of present. It's just there in all of us. And whether you're a person who handles stressful situations or panic well, even deep down somewhere, something is entirely different. And I'm sure uh, maybe you witnessed this, but we hear about these reports, right, of, of people getting into fights in the stores, right? Or they're arguing with one another at the gas pump. They're threatening each other because it's like all of a sudden, right, we're removed from our regular, isolated, individual lives and we're thrown into this great big pot of panic together and we can't handle it. It seeps out, right? Panic comes and we lash out at one another. But then I think something happens, and it's usually maybe during the storm or maybe just after the storm. Uh, This has been my experience, and I think you see this in a lot uh, of the aftermath of natural disasters. What happens? Well, for a brief time, we come together. We see a, a greater sense of unity. We share grills with our neighbors, right? We get to know our neighbors. We help each other. For a brief moment, the modern conveniences of electricity and the internet are taken away from us and we're actually experiencing, get this, some pretty good community, right? What it means to be a part of a neighborhood, right? Some of my greatest memories are just after Hurricane Wilma in 2005 and the conflict that that brought into our lives. But afterwards, to be able to come together with new people and with friends and to really experience a community of peace, it was life-giving. That's 
what we need more of. Sebastian Junger is a war correspondent, war journalist. He's been in, uh, I think, embedded in every war the last 30 years. He also is an author. He wrote uh, the book The Perfect Storm, which I'm sure you've uh, seen the movie. And he just came out with a book called Tribe that I got to read part of on a plane last week. And uh, in it, he actually talks about how many veterans and former combat soldiers actually find more peace in war because of the bonds of community. But when they come home, they end up facing a world where there is a lack of community, a lack of bonds, and conflict arises, and they begin to struggle. And he says the same is true for many people after natural disasters. Here's what he, he writes. He says, any discussion of veterans and their common experience of alienation must address the fact that so many soldiers find themselves missing the war after it's over. That troubling fact can be found in written accounts from war after war, country after country, century after century. As awkward as it is to say, part of the trauma of war seems to be giving it up. What people miss, presumably, isn't the danger, but the loss of the unity that these things often engender. He goes on, one of the most notable, noticeable things about life in the military, even in the support units, not the people who are in the line of fire, is that you are almost never alone. Day after day, month after month, you are close enough to speak to, if not touch, a dozen or more people. And he concludes that today, many veterans come home to find that although they're willing to die for their country, they're not really sure how to live for it. To go from that intense unity, that common mission, that deep bond of community, and to go back to American suburbia, right? no wonder, no wonder it can be so difficult for many. And in some ways, not all, but in some ways, I think it's the same for you and I. We can live our lives so isolated from one another, so caught off from one another, that when conflict actually does arise, it becomes completely overwhelming to us that we just want to push it aside and not deal with it at all. And when that happens, we let resentment burrow down deep into us until we are walking around with these internal volcanoes waiting to erupt. So how do we do this? Right? What's the new habit that helps us work towards being a people of blessing and living in a community of peace? And I think it is each other. Working together as brothers and sisters to bless, to bless each other in the middle of our conflict. That's what Peter is shouting out at us. Right? This passage is clearly showing us that there is a direct connection between living God's way, even as we face conflict, and the blessing that comes to us. His blessing, God's blessing in our life. And so I want to leave you with two challenges this morning. Uh, One is corporate, you know, for all of us together as God's people, and one is personal. You know, for Christians in America today, in the culture we're living in, uh, for the first time, 
we are really being challenged on what we believe. For generations, generation upon generation in this country, uh, it's pretty much been accepted that you're either a Christian or you're pretty much okay with Christian values and the Christian lifestyle. And that's not the case anymore. And many of us are having a really hard time with that. Having a really hard time with that. And the way it's manifesting in our lives, the way it's taking shape in us, is unfortunately not leading us to become people of blessing with love and grace but it's leading us to be filled with bitterness and resentment. We don't like the way the world is changing underneath us. And instead of being filled with love and grace, bitterness and resentment are taking root. And that is what many people are seeing. So I want to challenge us. Let's be careful of that. Let's not be known for that. Let's not lead with that. Let's be people of blessing as brothers and sisters, that we could model a better way to live even when it comes to dealing with our conflict. But also personally. You know, sometimes we don't practice blessing and peace and it begins to seep out into other areas of our lives. When we're in the car and we're met with that, that other driver, right? That other motorist. And we have a moment where we're either going to curse or bless, sometimes literally curse, right? You know, maybe we think that's a small thing, but those things add up. Those things add up in our lives and they begin to shape us. And those types of things begin to seep out into the way we live and the way people experience us. There are different kinds of habits that shape us and we are called, we are called to live differently than that. We're called to live differently differently, to look to Jesus who endured the greatest conflict so that you and I wouldn't have to. And let's leave this morning kind of letting that sink down deep into our hearts, that Jesus lost the blessing of God so that you and I could gain it. He lost it so we could have it. And if that's true, well then let's get on with the work of searching for peace and the hard work of maintaining it. Let's do what Jesus did, which was to bless, to bless, to bless even our enemies. That's the work that God has given to us if we're going to live his way in the world. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask, um, Lord, with all of our hearts, that you would help us to deal with these very difficult questions. Some of us are living with resentment. Um, Lord, some of us don't even realize that at the root of some of our conflict that we're experiencing is this deep bitterness. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would come and you would make our hearts tender. Lord, that you would lead us slowly to be able to bless, to be people of blessing. And when we need the help when we struggle to do it on our own, may we turn to one another. May we be a community of peace. Lord, that the world would see that when it comes to the ways that we're handling our problems, our conflict, that we love each other as brothers and sisters, not because we have found a better way to love, but because we share your love as our Father. 
God, may we do that hard work and may we begin it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.